1: Fireside Anthology is a podcast where we collectively gather, relax, and listen to stories across all genres by a variety of authors. Come in, relax with us. cute book bindings you know it's just something about that book calls to me I want to find out what it is and I have such a library book collecting problem that I actually have a new rule that I'm not allowed to buy a book um, unless it has to do with like research or if it's hardcover um you know and it appeals to me which is That may not sound like a huge parameter, but it's really narrowed down the amount of books that I bring home. It's really helped with my book storage problem. Um, But this book was definitely one that fit the parameter. It was this lovely day in Boston. I was out enjoying the sun, just soaking up the rays, and you walked by this tiny, like, hole in the wall used bookshop. And when you walked in, it just smelled like mmm. Like your grandfather's closet, like a little musty, but like still very like warm and comforting. And I was perusing the stacks and I saw the discount bookshelf. That's something I just can't pass up because there's so many wonderful treasures waiting to be plucked from the shelves and go home with you. And this story today was found in a shelf similar to that. We'll get right into it, but first, a word from our sponsors. From your podcast with no minimum listenership simply by posting ads like this one. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place is at anchor.fm. Download the free Anchor app. Go to anchor.fm. Disclaimer before we begin. Today's story was originally written in 1938, and I think it'll be important to remember the context of that time period as we read today's story. Let's begin. It was early on a Saturday afternoon that Philip Trent, passing through Ketagoan Place, caught sight of a trim figure in the portico of one of the tall old houses girl came down the steps as he stopped his car. "'How goes it, Marion?' he said. "'It must be all of a year since I saw you last.' "'Why, Phil, what a surprise!' She glanced back at the door she had just left. "'Have you come to see the doctor?' "'But no. "'You can't do that without an appointment. "'And besides, he is just going out himself.' Trent got out of the driving seat and shook hands with Marion Sylvester, whom he had known for most of her twenty-two years. "'So this is the doctor's.' Ah, yes, I see. Brass plate so tiny you don't notice it's there. A great man, evidently. The smaller the plate, the bigger the doctor. Still, I don't want to see him. I have just been lunching in Chelsea, but it wasn't so bad as all that. Well, you will see him whether you want to or not. She said in a low tone as the door opened and a tall, gaunt man, black-bearded, came out. He took off his hat to Marion with a swift glance at Trent as he returned the salutation and passed on his way. "'He's not a doctor, really. He's a surgeon,' Marion explained. "'But he is a Pole, and it seems that whatever degree you take in his country, you're called a doctor.' Trent examined the brass plate. "'Dr. W. Kowaziski.' There is something very tragic about the look of your Dr. W. Koziski, Marion. An interesting cultured face, and he has very small ears with hardly any lobes, beautiful hands, and he has had the left one bitten by a dog or possibly a patient some years ago by the look of the scar. No baldness, though he must be over fifty. Short nose, long upper lip, he would have looked nearly so handsome if he was clean-shaven. She laughed. "'Isn't that just like you? You see a person for a split second, and you've got him photographed. Well, I'm his secretary, and as Saturday's a short day, I get off after lunch. "'Is there anywhere I can take you? I am free for the next hour.'" She thought for a moment. "'You know, Phil, meeting you like this is really rather lucky. Several times I've wished I could tell you about something that has been annoying me.'" because I can't understand it and perhaps you could although it's not one of your crime problems I suppose if you take, if you could take me home I could explain it best there I suppose you don't know Reville Place I know where it is then you know it's where a quite nice neighborhood shades off into a dingy one I've got a cheap top floor at number 43 Trent opened the door of the car and she took her place It's not a very cheery spot, but my flat lid is all right once you're inside the door. Mother let me have some decent furniture and things, and it's airy and comfortable. The car started, and Marion continued. Yes, I'm on my own now. Of course, we haven't met since Father died. We weren't left any too well off, as you might imagine, knowing him as you did. Trent nodded. He had indeed known Colin Sylvester well enough to be surprised that he had left anything at all. Probably, he reflected, Mrs. Sylvester had her own income. Sylvester had made money easily and abundantly, but he had loved entertaining on a generous scale, and loved yet more anything in the nature of a gamble for high stakes. He had been well known and popular in the social world, though a malicious wit had made him not everyone's friend, which had added a spice to the news that, at his death, He had left behind him the material for a volume of memoirs to be published in due time. "'Mother has a house in Wallingford,' Marion said, "'and not too much to run it on when Fred's school bills have been paid. "'I had a little capital of my own, enough to keep me while I was learning to make a living, "'so I decided to come to London and train for a secretary's job. "'I took this place we're going to and started a course at Needham's.' "'Trent asked when she had finished her course.' "'Why, I never did finish it,' Marion said. "'I hadn't been at it three months when Paula Kozinski looked me up. "'You wouldn't know her. "'She's my boss's daughter, of course, "'and she was my greatest friend at school. "'She had all her education in England, "'and you would never know she was a Pole. "'She lived with her father since he came to London. "'He had a son who went to the devil,' Paula told me, "'and since then the old man has been entirely devoted to her. "'Well, when she called on me, "'she told me her father wanted a new secretary, "'and nothing would do but that he must have me for the job.' I was astonished. I had only seen him once in my life when Paula brought him to Tea in Reveal Place. I had heard about him sometimes from Father, who for some reason didn't like him, and I had always imagined he was very disagreeable. But when he came, I quite took to the old chap he so evidently doted on Paula. But of course, I hadn't ever dreamed of an offer like this. Well, she made me come round and see him, and he was most charming, said he had been so much touched by Paula's story of me and my doings, it on rather thick, really. You know the sort of thing men say when a girl doesn't merely curl up and collapse when things get difficult. Yes, I do know, Trent said with feeling. Your pluck, your self-reliance, your- All right, I see you've got it by heart, interrupted the girl of the period. So when we had got over that part, he asked if I could come to him as his secretary was leaving him for a better position, which I knew from Paula. Only she also told me that the doctor had got her another post because he wanted to have me. I said how gratified I was, but I had very little training and no experience, and he said any fool could do the work, although he didn't quite put it that way, as it was just keeping a list of appointments with patients and receiving them when they came, and taking some correspondence and noting up the fees. And then he offered me about double what I should have expected for my first job. Well, I took it, and there was nothing absolutely wrong with it. There still isn't after about a month of it. The work's not hard, and in fact... There's often not much to do, so that I get a little work done on Father's book. Oh! I didn't tell you that I was putting his rough notes for his memoirs into shape for the publishers. They're very rough ones, and I have to write the whole thing out myself. I take some of the stuff to the doctors every day. There's quite a lot of it. I haven't read all of it yet, in fact, but a great deal of what I have read is pretty scandalous, believe me. Trent, with a vivid memory of Sylvester's vein of expurgated anecdote about people of importance, said that this was easy to believe. But you still say there's nothing wrong with this heaven-sent job of yours. Marion, you blast my hopes. I thought I was going to hear that Kozis made dishonorable proposals to you, or that he drinks laudanum, or that he has a private delusion that he's a weasel. Well, it's all very capital for you, and I'm gladder than I can say. And here we are at 43 Reveal Place. This was an old-fashioned, high-roofed, stucco-fronted house with a basement and three other floors, like all its neighbors, slightly dingy in appearance, although not dilapidated. They mounted the steps, and Marion opened the door with a latchkey. It could be seen as they went up the stairs that each floor had been partitioned off to form a self-contained flat, and Marion's own door, like the front door, was fitted with a Yale lock. "'Well, here's my top floor,' she said as they entered. There were four rooms opening off the landing, all fairly lofty and well-lighted. "'And a very good top floor,' Trent observed when he had been shown the living room, bedroom, bathroom, and kitchen. Much better than the top floor in my own place. And furnished, I think, as you said, with faultless taste. If you ever want to get rid of that little tall boy, you might let me know. And that mahogany riding table. It was a spedeph and it was young, wasn't it? You ought to keep that, I suppose. Marion laughed. Are you setting up an antique shop? But now, let me tell you what it was I wanted your advice about. To begin with, look at the top of that table. He bent over it. You mean these faint scratches here and there, as if something hard and heavy has been shifted about on it? Curious. The scratches are in four lots, making the four corners of a square. Was this done when the furniture was moved here from Wallingford? No, it was done fairly lately, about three weeks ago, say. Perhaps more. That table was as smooth as glass till then. I rub it over with a duster every day, so I noticed it at once. And it wasn't done by the char lady who comes in two mornings a week. She's a very careful, neat-handed woman. And besides, I first saw the scratches on Thursday. And her days are Tuesday and Friday. Of course, I don't much like having my table scratched, but what I like much less is not knowing who did it, and how anyone could have been here to do it. The entrance is always locked when I'm out, of course, and the street door always is. And don't look as if you thought I was worrying about a trifle. There are other things that tell me plainly that someone comes into this place when I am not here. You see that velvet cushion in the armchair? It's embroidered a prettier pattern on one side than on the other, and I always leave it showing that side, as it is now. But several times, I've come in and found it turned the other way round. Anyone who had been sitting in that chair, and had punched the cushion into shape again before going away, would as likely as not to leave it the wrong way round. And then again, there is the old writing table you covet so much. There is nothing of value in either of the drawers. I keep father's notes for his memoirs in the left-hand one, and as much as I have done of the fair copy in the other, but three times someone has been at them. They are not locked? Trent asked. No. "'Nothing in the place is locked except the door of the flat. "'Now look at these drawers. You see?' "'She opened both and shut them again. "'They both push in a little too far when you close them, "'and I always pull them back out "'so as to be just level with the woodwork round them. "'Usly particular, perhaps, you think. "'Anyhow, I'm absolutely certain "'I've never left these drawers pushed right in "'as I found them three days running that long ago. "'And now here.' "'She led the way into the kitchen.' I'll show you the thing that quite makes me certain, and that is the sink. When I've washed up after breakfast, I leave it not only perfectly clean, but quite dry, bottom and sides as well. Why? Tread wondered. Because I've been well brought up, Marion said conclusively. Well, every day for some time past, I've come home and found it perfectly clean, but not dry. "'Drops of water on the sides, "'but you get from the splashes when you're running the tap. "'Look, you see those drops? "'A man, wouldn't I suppose, unless they were pointed out to him. "'They weren't there when I left this morning.' "'Marion and her guests looked at one another in silence for some moments, "'then Trent remarked, "'You say nothing about having missed anything. "'Jewelry, uh, perhaps any other sort of portable property.' "'No,' she said. "'Absolutely nothing has ever been stolen, I am sure.' I often leave money on my dressing drawer. My dressing table drawer and my jewelry, such as it is, is kept in there too, and nothing has been taken. What food I've had in the place has never been touched, nor any of the household things, unless you count those matches, which I suppose came from my box. Trent rose and paced the floor. "'It all sounds pretty mad, I must say,' he observed, "'and it doesn't make it seem any saner to suggest that one of the people on the lower floors may be your visitor, "'as they haven't got your private key.' "'Yes, and besides, why should they? "'As for my keys, they are always in my handbag, which is with me at all times. "'The only duplicate I keep are a pair in the dressing-table drawer and a pair the charwoman has, "'and if you ever saw Mrs. Kinch, you would know that she's incapable of doing anything eccentric or not respectable.' She worships the vicar of St. Michael's just round the corner, and sings hymns while she is out doing the place, as she calls it. And she has a son in the solicitor's office, and likes you to know it. There have been other things, too, which you can't possibly connect with Mrs. Clinch. There's that window you saw me shut when we came in. Well, she knows I always leave it open to air the room. Several times I've come home and found it shut, you see. Trent went to the window and opened it for a moment. Yes, there might be a draught that anyone sitting in this armchair would feel. I agree. It does look as if somebody has been coming in here while you are away, in particular sitting in your armchair and plumping up the cushion when he leaves the place. An exclamation of disgust came from Mary and Sylvester. And that's a nice thing to think of, isn't it? I prefer to know something about the people who visit my flat and sprawl in my armchair. What have I got to tell them? And there's no use to go into the police about it, as you can see. What have I got to tell them? The place hasn't been broken into. Nothing has been stolen. I've no actual proof that anyone has been making themselves at home here. They'd only grin and say, or think, that I was fancying these things." Trent considered. Yes, I suppose they would. By the way, what time do you leave here in the morning? 9.15. And get back about 7, usually. Much at home during the weekends? No, not a lot. I spend a good deal of time with friends, Paula Kozyski, and the other people I know in London. On Sundays, I get out to the country if the weather is decent and have a day out in the open air with or without a companion. I don't have a dull life at all, Phil. The one bad spot is this silly little mystery. Perhaps, Trent said, the best thing you could do, Marion, is to leave it to me. I must be on my way now, but I will let my giant intellect play around the subject and make a few inquiries and see you again very soon. She jumped up. Heavens, bless you, Phil. That's what I hoped you'd say. Before I go, would you like to trust me with those spare keys of yours? She fetched them from the bedroom. If you use them, you must promise not to pill for anything or smash up the furniture. Trun expressed the hope that he would be able to overcome his lower nature. Before he left the house, he tried each of the keys and his lock and found that they fitted easily. In the cactus club... Most ways of life are represented, and there are a few subjects on which some information cannot be gleaned from fellow members whenever there is a large muster. Lunching there the next day, Trent was able to draw more than one source for facts about Dr. Kuczynski. He was an orthopedic specialist with certain methods of his own devising and a fan.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
1: So start looking
0: in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. fancy for making his own surgical appliances he had built up a large practice in his native city of Poznan and made a european reputation the afflicted grandson of jason b rhodes the sulfur magnet had been brought across the ocean to him for treatment and had been cured an ex-patient of the doctor who had attended him at his own house gave some more intimate details kuziski was a widower his son and daughter had been sent to school in England so as to escape the influence of German culture, of which the doctor disapproved, for he had been an ardent Polish patriot under the German rule. This had not been a success in the case of the son, who had hope, turned out a hopeless waster. Some ten years ago, Dr. Koziski had, as it was vaguely known, got into trouble with the German authorities, and had found it advisable to transfer himself to London, where he had resumed his practice and was doing more than well. The son, going from bad to worse, had turned his attention to forgery, had been sent to a penal servitude. The doctor was entirely wrapped up in his daughter, who was a Slade art student. He had not succeeded in spoiling her, and everyone thought her charming. Besides his liking for Marian and Sylvester, Trent had another motive for taking up her little mystery. He thought that there might be something more in the affair than she imagined, and his curiosity was awake. It might be worthwhile to look further into the affairs of Dr. Koziski, and there was one line at least that could be followed up. After leaving the Cactus Club, he spent a fruitless hour searching the files in the offices of the Record for a report of the trial of the younger Koziski, and he was still at this task when Homan, the paper's regular crime expert, came into the library. "'If you're hunting for the name Koziski,' Homan said, "'you won't find it. I remember the case.' He was prosecuted under the name of Jackson, which he had been known to the police as being mixed up with a bad lot. He had forged a stolen check and collected the money. It didn't come out till afterward that he was the doctor's son, and the fact never made public. He was informed John by a man he had quarreled with, and his evidence got Jackson five years. Thus put on the right track, Trent soon turned up the report of the case. It was colorless enough, but Trent noted that the name of the informant was given as Wimster, that he had been on intimate terms with Jackson before the quarrel, and that his going to the police had an air of an act of treachery rather than of dauntless public spirit. A public house called the Cat and Fiddle in the Harrow Road had figured in the evidence as a rendezvous of Jackson, Wimster, and their associates. A comparison of dates showed that Jackson Kozinski's sentence still had six months to run, but as Holman pointed out, it might be shortened considerably as a reward of good conduct. The landlord of the cat and fiddle, whose beer Trent found to be in excellent condition, had known Wimster very well. Jackson had been his before his time. When the landlord first came to the place three years ago, Wimster had been using the cat and fiddle regularly. He was a racing tipster, and seemed to do pretty well of it, taking good times with bad. Last year, Wimster had left the district saying nothing to nobody, but Joe Tittle, being over in Woolwich not long ago, had seen him in the street. Joe could swear it was Wimster, but when he spoke to him, he said that wasn't his name and he had never seen Joe in his life. Quite nasty about it he was, Joe said. Well, what could you make of it? Funny, but Trent was not the first to be asking after Wimster, the landlord said. There had been a gent in not long ago wanting to get in touch with the same party, and the landlord had told him the same as he had told Trent. "'Would you know the man again?' asked Trent. "'Yes, the landlord would. It was a face that gave you a funny feeling. You couldn't easily forget it.' "'But what?' the landlord wondered was the reason for all this interest in Wimster. Trent could only tell him that he thought Wimster might have some information that would be useful to him. "'What was the landlord having?' landlords was a toothful of old Jamaica. Good stuff, this chilly weather. Happy days, sir." Chief Inspector Bly, receiving Trent in his little office at Scotland Yard, pushed the cigarette box across the table. "'Yes, I can tell you something more about Ladis Kuziski, alias George Jackson,' Mr. Bly said when Trent had set forth the extent of his own information. I'm glad you got the landlord of the cat to talk. His evidence will be useful. We haven't gotten on to that line because, you see, the man known as Wimster has called himself Barley since he went to live in Woolwich. They must be the same man, I can see that. We have got plenty on Jackson as it is, but you can't have too much. Why, is he in trouble again? You might call it that, the inspector said grimly. He came out of prison five weeks ago he's wanted now for attempted murder. Last Tuesday night, Balling passed two men who knew him walking up Foxhill Street where he lives. There was nobody else about. They exchanged greetings as they passed and the two chaps met one another whose face they said they didn't like. This fellow was staring after Barley and looked as if he were following him. But out of curiosity, they turned and followed too. Just as Barling was approaching a club called the Red Cow, which he had probably been on his way to, they saw the follower catch him up and take him by the arm. They were too far behind to hear what was said, but the other man seemed to steer Barling into the entry of a builder's yard at the side of the pub. Then they heard Barling yelling for help, and as they ran up, the other man came bolting out of the entry and made off in an opposite direction towards the main road. They found Balling lying in his blood, apparently dead. He had been stabbed twice. His injuries were serious, but not fatal. Next day, he was able to state that the man who had knifed him was George Jackson, who had done time for forgery. We looked him up in the rogues' gallery and showed the two witnesses his picture, which they recognized at once. Balling refuses to say anything more. Trent, his elbows on the table, had followed this terse narrative with kindling eyes. And Jackson is still on the run? He is. He probably slowed down when he got to the main road, seeing he wasn't being pursued. And he could have boarded any one of a dozen buses or trams, it was easy for him to vanish. His description has gone out of course with this prison photo, but there's no trace of him yet. As we know, his real name in history Dr. Koziski was called on and interrogated, but he could tell us nothing. Didn't even know his son was at liberty, he said. He had had six months knocked off his sentence, you see, for being a good boy. He shed his virtue with his convicts, you in uniform. They often do. Trent eyed the inspector thoughtfully for a few moments, then looked away. It all fits in, he said as if to himself. I don't like it, but it can't be helped. What's on your mind, Mister Bly demanded. Is it another one of your bright ideas? They are usually worth something, so let's have it. Well, I have an idea. I don't know if you might call it a bright one about where you could lay hands on your man, but it needs more tragedy for someone. If I'm right, it'll mean tragedy for you, my lad, if you connive at the escape of a dangerous criminal. "'the inspector said briskly, drawing his chirps to the table. "'Come on, let's hear it!' "'Trent let him hear it. "'At the corner of reveal place the next morning, "'Trent met Mr. Bly, who was followed at some distance "'by another plainclothes officer, "'already known to Trent as Sergeant Barrett. "'A closed car was waiting there, and as they passed it, "'the inspector and his driver exchanged almost imperceptible nods. "'You've told her what to do.' Mr. Bly asked. "'She will have got my letter this morning,' Trent said. "'As we arranged, I didn't tell her anything, only asked her to leave at her usual time, not to take any notice of us when she sees us at the door and go straight off to her job as if nothing was happening. Right!' They came to the door of number 43, and Trent opened it with Marion's latchkey. When the sergeant had joined them in the entry, they went quickly up to the top floor and waited before the entrance to the flat." "'Probably nothing will happen until she has been gone some time,' the inspector remarked. "'But we don't want to have this door opening and shutting more than it usually does.'" At 9.15 precisely, Marion, equipped with hat and handbag, opened the front entrance door and came out. She was flushed and bright-eyed as she took in sight of the three tall figures waiting in the stairhead, "'She murmured to Trent and then hurried down below. "'The three men entered quietly, "'shutting the door behind them. "'However, not so quietly. "'Mr. Bly, after a glance into each of the four rooms "'that opened upon the landing, "'led the way into the largest, "'the living room in which Trent had listened to Marion's story. "'And there they waited in silence, "'with the room door open, "'for what seemed to Trent the longest half-hour "'his watch had ever told. "'At last!' A sharp, slight noise came from without, and the inspector mentioned the others to stand farther back from the door. Other faint sounds followed, and then came into the then there came into view through the doorway an object that was slowly descending from the ceiling outside the room. It was a small suitcase dangling from a cord fastened to its handle. This came noisily to rest, noiselessly to rest on the landing, the cord dropped beside it, and then a dry rattle. A rope ladder with rungs of cane unrolled itself swiftly from above until its end just cleared the floor. The ladder began to thresh about and to creak, and two feet appeared. A man was feeling his way down by this awkward means a short, strongly made man, with disproportionately broad shoulders. But just before the head and the soldiers came into the watcher's field of vision, the two officers were out of the room in a rush. The man was instantly dragged from the ladder. There followed a furious and worthless struggle, during which a small hall table and the bowl of flowers upon it were smashed to pieces, and the panel of the entrance door was cracked by a boot heel. At last, the handcuffs snapped, and George Jackson was formally acquainted with the reason for his arrest as he stood glowering and panting in the secure grip of Sergeant Borat. Jackson's broad, high forehead and overdeveloped jaws made his face almost square, his lips were thin, his chin was short, his narrow-lidded eyes were much too far apart, and he was villainously unshaven. Mr. Bly jerked an automatic pistol from the captive's breast pocket. "'You see?' he remarked to Trent. "'There couldn't have been a better way of getting him in. "'If he had gotten his hands free, somebody might have been hurt with this Betsy "'before he could be stopped. "'If we had tried to get him in that loft, somebody would have been killed pretty certainly, "'and he could have stole the whole force up there, so long as he had food and ammunition. "'But if he was making use of the flap, there had to be a rope or ladder of some kind, "'and while he was coming down, he was helpless.' He went to the window opening on the street, put his head out, and waved a hand. The car at the corner g- rolled gently up to number 43. "'Take him along, Bart,' Mr. Bly said, opening the entrance door. "'I'll be over when I have had a look round up above.' The sergeant twined one fist scientifically into Jackson's collar, the other into a sleeve, and propelled him at arm's length through the doorway and down the stairs. From first to last he had not spoken a word. First, we'll have a look at his travelling outfit," Mr. Bly said, as he slipped the catches of the suitcase on the floor. Good idea. That saved a lot of climbing up and down. What have we? Toothbrush, soap, and towel, brush and comb, he has nice clean habits anyhow, and I didn't like to use anything of his Vesta's more than he had to. He was able to wash regularly and leave no traces, have a bath, too. No shaving tackle, as you might expect, from the look of him. That was the notion, I think, Trent said, to lie low, or rather high, until the hunt for him had cooled off, and meanwhile grow a beard and mustache that would be a better disguise than anything else. What's that you got there? The inspector held it up, eyeing it appreciatively. Bones, chicken, in a glass, none of your vulgar tins, tomato soup in a bottle biscuits and butter. His old man was doing him well, I must say. Salt and pepper, packet of tea, two cloths for washing up, I suppose, so as not to use Miss Sylvester's. He must have made free with her plates and knives and forks and the kitchen things, though there's none of them here. By the way, she may notice a rise in her gas bill if Jackson has been using the cooker as well as the kitchen and bathroom geysers with the gas fire in the sitting room. I should say he was very comfortable here, making himself quite at home for eight hours or so a day." At intervals, the doctor would look in with fresh supplies. Trent remarked, That would be when he was supposed to be attending patients at their own homes, no doubt. The inspector closed the suitcase and rose up from his knees. I'm glad this old man supplied a ladder. It will be easier than a rope for anybody my size will certainly be easier than the way Jackson first got up into the loft, Trent remarked, if I am right in thinking they dragged the living room table onto the landing and put a chair on top of it. Jackson would only have been just able to push up the trap door with his fingers, and hauling himself up required some strength. The scratches made by the feet of the chair gave me an idea almost at the start. But that wasn't all you had to go on, suggested the inspector. No. Before, I thought that the doctor must have some reason for manufacturing a job for a girl he didn't know and keeping her safe in his own house all day. What he did know was that she lived in a top-floor flatlet, and he visited her once to see if the usual lofted trapdoor or they could be made use of. When she started to work with him, he borrowed the keys from her bag at the first opportunity, took a squeeze of them, and then filed duplicates from a couple of Yale blanks. He's quite a craftsman, I'm told. That he laid in the necessary stores, and one evening when Mr Vester was at the theatre with his daughter, he met Lattius, brought him here, and left him settled in under the roof. That's my story, anyhow. I've thought it over a lot since yesterday, and that's how I fill in the outlines." Mr. Bly grunted. It must have been something like that. Of course he knew his son was going to be released as soon as it happened. Probably he got the doctor on the phone and arranged a meeting somewhere. He must have told them what he meant to do to Webster. He must have told them he was going to be wanted by the police again and must have a safe hideout. Then the doctor was struck by a notion and began working on the plan for making a hideout of the loft over his daughter's friend's place. And a good plan, too. Perhaps he didn't need to be told what a lad like that was going to do to the man who put him away, Trent suggested. If you're a Pole, as well as a Rogan, you're not apt to have a forgiving nature. If it was a question of saving his son from a hanging, well, I suppose he was ready for anything. Well, I'll get plenty, I dare say. There will be sympathy for him, too. Now, will you hold on to the foot of this ladder while I go up? If you want to come up, you'll have to manage by yourself, as Jackson did. If I want to come... By the light of the inspector's big electric torch, they surveyed the sleeping quarters of the soi George Jackson. Between two of the roof beams, a light canvas hammock was slung, folded blankets within it. Some sheets of pasteboard had been laid over the ceiling joist in one corner, and on them stood an array of preserved foods, a tin of biscuits, a carton of eggs, a packet of candles, and other household necessities. In another corner, there was a pile of newspapers, Nothing to sit on, Trent observed. You can't carry a chair about the streets without exciting remark. Besides, there's nowhere for a chair to stand. No wonder he had such an armchair fondness for the armchair below. It must have taken the doctor several visits to get this place finished, the inspector said. Well, I've seen enough. I'll have all this removed before Miss Esther comes home. I wonder how she'll like it when you told her the story. There'll be something for her to talk about for the rest of her life. how she had a young man staying in her class, her flat for a fortnight without knowing it. When they had made the descent, Trent turned to gathering up the wreckage on the floor and stowing it in the corner of the kitchen. I shall have to get Mary in a new table and bowl, he remarked. I promised her I wouldn't smash up the furniture. He laughed suddenly. Mr. Bly inquired what the joke was. Why, I just remembered, Trent said, that she told me this wasn't one of my crime problems. so much for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed this week's story and I can't wait to um, bring you more. If you enjoyed this week's story and you wish that others could also hear it, please tell your friends. You know, any little thing helps. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or honestly, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. Um, any little bit helps. You can find us on social media at FiresideAntho on Instagram. If you'd like to submit a story request, please um, leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm or, you know, drop us a DM on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Wow, well, that's all for this week. See you next time at the Fireside.
0: upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com/upgrade.
1: Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues